Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Good evening and welcome to another edition of Radio Islam. I'm your host, Tariq Alameen, and we are broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM, streaming live at WCEV1450.com. Ramadan Mubarak, Radio Islam family. Uh, if you are new to the Radio Islam family, we welcome you. Thanks for tuning in. We're on every night from 6 to 7 p.m. Central. And we are just a few feet away from the elevated trains downtown. We're coming to you from Chicago, as I said, uh, in the Palmer House. And you can keep up with us. You want to keep up, keep up with us. And you'll do that by following and liking our social media pages. You'll find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Radio Islam USA. And you can also check out those previous episodes that you've missed uh, wherever you get your podcast. SoundCloud, TuneIn, iTunes, Google Play, uh, and you'll find us once again at Radio Islam USA. And I've also got to, I've also got to plug, and I don't often mention it because I just feel like you already know it. But for the, for the new people, you can always, you can always go to RadioIslam.com, right? Our site, RadioIslam.com, uh, and there you will actually be able to see. Uh, you can get a bit of information about previous guests. Uh, see their bios, things of that nature. So you can get a little more in-depth. But, you know, if you're just on the run and you just want to hear, you know, you can go right to wherever you get your podcasts uh, and, you'll, and you'll find us, as I said, at Radio Islam USA. Now, for those of you who want to call in, um, do so at 312-750-1178. 312-750-1178. Okay. So I am, I am actually very tired but I'm very I'm very happy and why am I happy I'm happy because tomorrow's an off day uh, so we won't be live tomorrow and Friday many of you uh, are preparing for the uh, for the Eid celebration and we're in the same mode here so tomorrow Friday well we'll, we'll be back with you live Monday inshallah with, uh, God willing God's permission so, uh, but the tired part, so the tired, we'll, we'll get through the tired. But something that woke me up a bit uh, as I'm scrolling through the news, uh, one thing, well, first, before I get to North Korea, before we get to that, because I, uh, I think my brother Ibrahim is going to jump in on that. But I want to mention quickly, are you paying attention to Virginia? Are you paying attention to, for, to Virginia? There was an election last night. There was an election last night, Senate election, uh, primaries. And an individual named Corey Stewart, who was pretty much unknown on the national scene, was the winner of the Republican primary. And why is this something to ask? Are you paying attention? Well, because this gentleman is a card-carrying, Confederate flag-waving defender of the aggressors from last summer uh, from Charlottesville. Uh, we remember that shameful debacle, that shameful ex exhibition of hatred uh, and ignorance where a young lady lost her life, and plenty of people were injured. And much like our president, 
much like the president of the United States, Donald J. Trump, who made the, I guess you could say, he 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 issued the he issued an equivalency. He said that there were bad or good people or bad people. Which one was it? See, it doesn't doesn't even really matter. The fact that you would try to compare these two groups of people that came together uh, to protest, one rooted in hate, one hollering slogans, blood and soil, uh, Jews will not replace us, and the other protesting their hate. There is no comparison for the for the sensible. There's no comparison for people who have a moral compass. But our president, and like this, well, this individual, Corey Stewart, he went he went a step further. He not only he not only gave them a pass, but he defended them. He outright defended uh, the actions of those people. Um, and the reason I'm talking about this is 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 for this purpose. He didn't win in the the rural areas. He didn't win in the major urban centers. He won. He won in the upper. He won in the in the suburbs. He won in those places where, uh, for example, uh, Fairfax, where they have a median income of one hundred fourteen thousand dollars which is double, which is roughly double the national figure, and have a poverty rate of 6%, which is less than half the rate that the rest of the country uh, endures, and an unemployment rate of 2.3%, which is, again, below the national, well below the national trends. He won in places like that. That's where his support came from, because he won... Uh, I have to give you the stat. There were a total of 304,435 total votes cast. And he won the contest. He won his, this election by 5,277 votes. But he picked up the win in northern Virginia, uh, Virginian suburbs, Fairfax County, Loudoun County, Prince William County. Now, why is this why is this important? Why does this matter? It matters because that says that it's not just it's not just when we have these conversations uh, quite often we're talking about when we talk about the the forgotten the forgotten portion of America. We we talk about working class America. We talk about we th- we're thinking generally we're thinking about poor poor white Americans. This win flies in the face of that. It it says that that's not that's not the issue. It's not that poor white Americans are being uh, that the fans of uh, uh, of hatred are being stoked that their that their situation is being played uh, against them that people are manipulating them into thinking that their problems rest with immigrants they rest with Muslims they rest with minorities they rest with everybody else but the people who are passing out or controlling the purse strings, the people that are controlling manufacturing, the people that are controlling education, all of these different things. So this election says something quite different. It says that there is a base that is willing to come out and support 
people who have hateful views, who are blatantly, blatantly anti-immigrant, anti-Muslim, anti-African-American, uh, anti-minority, anti-Jew, anti, just anti-anti. And these are people who are not economically dispossessed. These are people who have access. These are people who have privilege. And this is who they are sending. So for me, this is a this is a marker. This is something that we should all be we should all be mindful of. Because in every major urban center, you will find on its outskirts, you will find suburbs. And quite and I could say that, yeah, it's probably the norm that in the suburb in the suburbs, that is where you're going to find a a different distribution of wealth, of access, of power. And it does not it does not mean that we're painting with the broad with broad strokes and saying that all of our suburbs are like that. But there's a history behind white flight. And in a, quite a few cases, quite a few cases, that history has been, it is, it has been about. Well, the majority of those cases, I'm not going to sugarcoat this. The majority of those cases, it has been about being away from the other. So, if they are mobilizing, if they're letting their votes uh, show now, to put somebody like this Corey Stewart, Stewart fellow. Uh, up for election, up going up against uh, the uh, Democratic uh, incumbent Tim Kaine, then that should be a marker. That should be a sign for everybody else around the country because those sentiments are not are not relegated to the South. They are not relegated to uh, any particular part of the country. They don't stop. There's no line that stops them. So. It's something that we, it's something that we should be paying attention to. I'd love to hear what what you think on that, but I felt that I should, at the very least, bring this up, and uh, and we'll be paying paying attention to see how he how he can how how he campaigns, who comes out to support him, and um, yeah, and and what's the next what's the next steps? Is Virginia really really ready really ready? to turn over their representation to somebody who has made it uh, clear where their views are, that they have antiquated and views that uh, antiquated views, views that are antithetical to the idea of inclusion and equity and equality that we are supposed to stand for uh, here in the United States of America. So that's, that's all for that. Now, I know the other hot point uh, one of the other hot points that has been getting a lot of attention in the news, uh, and rightfully so, because we're in uncharted, uncharted waters. But I'm not sold on it. I'm not sold on it at all. And I think most people, most uh, analysts that are looking at it, they're not sold on it either. And what I'm talking about is just this brief meeting that took place between Kim Jong Un and uh, and President Donald Trump. So. Yeah, I see my brother's getting ready. He's getting his microphone ready. No. <laughs> but um, the fact that you had one meeting, and a meeting which was, which was cast as 
uh, immature, naive, and stupid, uh, and, and other things when President Obama made mention that he would be willing to sit down uh, by folks like um, Sean Hannity, who is now suspiciously silent uh, in the face of this meeting that has just taken place uh, with President Trump and President Trump's exclamations that you're welcome, you can sleep, you can sleep peacefully now, everything is all done. I'm just, I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. What do you think, Ibrahim? Well, it's interesting. <laughs> um, I guess to give a little bit of a background on the, um, how everything played out. First of all, there was a lot of back and forth about yes, the meeting's going to happen, and no, it's not going to happen. At first, they started insulting each other. Yeah, eight months ago. And yeah. then, you know, the meeting's going to happen, and no, it's not going to happen. And then at the last minute, they were like, yeah, okay, it's happening. Mm -hmm. um, so the takeaways from the actual agreement that happened, the, critic the main criticism is that there's no really detailed or specific guarantee of how the denuclearization is going to be verified. <coughs> and that's kind of the biggest uh, problem in the agreement. It's a kind of a general thing, a general like pledge that yes, mm -hmm. we're eventually going to try to denuclearize the Korean Peninsula, but as far as, as, far as any specifics in any way to enforce that, it's really unclear at this point. It does provide for the end of u.s military exercises with south korea and they're not happy which, about that at all right they're not happy about that at all and it should be noted that the south koreans as far as i know the south korean diplomats are pretty skeptical of the whole thing themselves they don't really trust the north north korean regime yet at all um so that's one thing that we gave up in a sense is the presence of the exercises, the military exercises with South Korean. Um, what did we actually gain out of it? As far as substantively, it's it's debatable, if anything. Now the question is, did it actually, so what you brought up basically, did it actually achieve anything or was it just publicity? Mm -hmm. um, well, ch check this, let me just interject this real quick. The one thing that we could say, um, walking away from the table that North Korea has vowed to suspend nuclear testing. Mm -hmm. Once again, who's going to verify that? Who's going to verify that? And what good does that do if they already have the weapons? Yes, yeah, you right. got 65 um, uh, nukes. So it has yet to be seen if there's anything actually substantive. The other question is how does this, which this a lot of experts have pointed out, that this question was going to be asked how does this measure up to the iran nuclear deal mm -hmm. uh president trump kind of boxed himself into this position where he would have had to come out with something substantially better right. than the iran nuclear deal which he apparently hated so much um which did have some specific measure pretty specific measures and it did come out with a good guarantee that iran will not be able to get nuclear weapons and that yeah. can be verified they might have there's a debate over whether they have enrichment capabilities and, and whatnot, mm -hmm. but to the getting it to the point of actually weapons grade uh, materials, that was there were some pretty good measures in the agreement to prevent that. Mm -hmm. um, proponents of and they had this, access. Yes, exactly. Now proponents of this agreement who are 
hailing this as a big success and big supporters of President Trump, I suspect they would s probably say that, okay, if you pointed out all of this to them, they would probably say, okay, this is maybe just a first step into a more specific thing that's coming sometime later. Mm -hmm. And that I don't know. I guess we have to wait and see how it actually works out. I, I'm inclined to be cautiously optimistic. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to very cautiously. I don't want to completely um, rule out any possibility of it having uh, any success just because President Trump is doing this, and I don't like his policies. Or you know, yeah, um, that wouldn't be fair. Right. So we'll see what happens. But as of right now, I don't. I don't see it as something very substantive and certainly not as substantive as the Iran nuclear deal, which uh, we just backed out of. Which had support. It had support uh, of, of our allies. Our allies were a part of structuring that. Mm -hmm. uh, and this, but he has a propensity for, uh, for bilateral talks, for bilateral, for one-on-one for -on -one negotiations. Um, he's when he pulled out of um, the TPP, hmm. and his whole deal was well, we'll we'll strike deals with individual nations, and 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 he figures he has let better leverage that way. But someone, um, and of course detractors, and I appreciate the point that you make, which is that we can't be so, we we can't be the partisans that we decry everybody else mm -hmm. for being right. We can't just say because it's Trump that. I don't want to see it succeed, right? Because he does represent the country, uh, and if he achieves something uh, meaningful that could that could benefit not just us but but the world, then that's something to be to be celebrated. As far as hailing this as a success, simply because he managed to meet with the Korean. No, 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 no. I don't think no, that's no, no, no. a. Yeah, I don't think that's. A no, that's not where I'm going. That's not impressive. Yeah, no, no, you're not. Yeah, yeah. But people are saying people might say that it was just the fact that he met with this guy right. was such that nobody has done this before and so on. Um, I'm not impressed with that, and that's not the hard part. Right, the hard part is not meeting with him. The hard part is actually getting something uh, substantial done. Because he's a guy who is throughout his whole public life has really been about show the act of meeting for him is the that's the achievement really doesn't matter what happens after that uh there was there was a commentator he was saying that his background is one where he talks there's a lot of bluster up front it's a whole lot of bluster but then when he sits down at the table he gives he he's, he's somebody else he gives away everything so he said that's why he, of course, this is, he said this is why he's been, he's gone through bankruptcy uh, four times mm -hmm. because he's really not, he's not who he says he is. Uh, he's not the, the businessman or the, um, yeah, he, he's not who he says he is. To go off on slightly on a tangent, yeah. um, another thing, another criticism that people are bringing up of President Trump's actions Mm -hmm. are his ad the contrast in the attitude towards North Korea versus his attitude towards Canada like the day before um, so he called Kim Jong-un he's very talented very smart and a great personality who loves his people right. um, and the comments on Trudeau for example not so friendly and and so so that's one more additional criticism that people have is you know look at this 
relationship that you're damaging with Canada, who's arguably our most important ally, right across Share the border, border right? Yeah. Um, and then going to North Korea and kind of buttering up this the ego of Kim Jong. I wonder what. Uh, well, <laughs> like I said, we'll see. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely something we'll be talking about uh, in the future. Maybe tomorrow. <laughs> no, no, not tomorrow. I, I've already told you all we we are. We will not be back live until uh, Monday for the holiday. So, but look, Radio Sound family, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to be joined by Bishop Greg L. Greer. And we've got some great conversation ahead for you. We'll be right back. Syrian Community Network, with offices nationwide, serves its Chicago area clients from its Northside location, located at 5439 North Broadway. They provide housing, social services, education, basic human needs, and food security. The Syrian Community Network has Arabic-speaking staff and is a partner organization of the Illinois Coalition for Immigrant and Refugee Rights. You can get more info by calling area code 872 806-0141 that's area code 872-806-0141 or by visiting their website at syriancommunitynetwork.org Assalamu alaikum as the blessed month of Ramadan approaches and we ask Allah for his mercy and favor we ask that you not only keep sound vision in your dua but that you also support it financially. Programs like Adam's World, Radio Islam, Media Trainings, The Crisis Text Line, and the Weekend School Teachers Institute are made possible by the support of listeners like you. Remember, donations made to Sound Vision are tax-deductible, as well as zakat-eligible. We appreciate your continued support and urge you to visit www.soundvision.com today. Click on the Give button and donate. Jazakallah khair. And now we have an eight-year-old on the line. Welcome to Our World Today. What's your question? Our continents make up 29% of the Earth's surface, meaning that 71% is comprised of water. Man automatically adapts to environmental conditions. So why do I need to take swimming lessons? Are you ready for kids who eat healthy? Good nutrition can lead to great things. To find out how a healthy lifestyle can help your child succeed, go to mypyramid.gov. Brought to you by the Ad Council and USDA. Radio Islam, the nation's first daily live call-in talk radio show produced by Muslims for the mainstream market. Radio Islam, on the air since 2004 because of your generosity. Radio Islam salutes its most valuable asset, you, our listener. From our producers to our interns, we appreciate your support. Thank you. Welcome back. Welcome back to Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq el We are broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM, streaming live at WCEV1450.com. And remember, you can keep up with us by following and liking our pages on social media. You'll find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And what's the handle? The handle is at Radio Islam USA. That's at 
Radio Islam USA. And for all you podcasters out there, you can go to wherever you get your podcasts. If that's SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn, Google Play, you'll find us once again at the same username at Radio Islam USA. And last but not least, for my old school peeps, because everybody's not going to post on our Facebook page or tweet us. Some just want to call. So if you want to call, you can do so at 312-750-1178. What's that number? 312-750-1178. All right, beloved family, Radio Slime family, our wonderful uh, listeners. We are joined in studio now by Bishop Greg L. Greer. Uh, he is the founder and president of Freedom First International, which is an NGO, non-governmental organization, which works for alternatives to racial hate and promotes world peace. Uh, as a public speaker, journalist, minister, and social justice activist um, who identifies himself as a global citizen, uh, Bishop Greer has lectured on global diversity, building social and civic responsibility, the life of Dr. King, civil rights, AIDS, HIV, American politics, and other topics. Um, and he's done so in the public and in the private sphere. Bishop Greer um, is with us in studio right now. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. It's a pleasure. Happy to be here. Thank you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So as the, I'm just going to just dive right in. Um, in. In looking at some of the, some of the information I saw about you, I see that Dr. King uh, and for many, and he has, he's impacted people in many different ways, but he is a, a central part of your own activism and identity. Could you share a bit with us about, about that? Well, here's where um, Dr. King has a lot of merit to me. Um, first of all, like you said, he's, he's impacted a lot of people around the world, and just in the suite of it, I really watched the legacy of Dr. King, and I embraced the legacy of Dr. King from the point of... Um, the time frame just prior to when he was assassinated, that is uh, from him doing the speech in New York and then coming into Memphis. He talked about globalism. He talked about economic rights. He went beyond civil rights. And yeah. I think that that is a relevant conversation even for this generation. And a lot of people don't know, you know, the moment, the very moment that he spoke out against the war in Vietnam, that's what, absolutely. that's why he lost his life. Yep, absolutely. It wasn't about Negro civil rights or anything like that, but when he started speaking out against the war, mm -hmm. that took, uh, it, it turned things fatal for him. And unfortunately, you know, a lot of people don't understand or know enough about that dynamic. So that's where I decided to really pick up and really I wanted to emulate his legacy. Hmm. Awesome. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That was a pivotal moment uh, when he did that. That speech, the the, the speech where he talked about sure. um, just this human dignity and uh, and just just the impacts of war and what it does to the soul and uh, oppression and going abroad. Yeah, it was it was phenomenal. It was phenomenal. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that was that was a wonderful point. So uh, in founding Freedom First International, mm -hmm. what was the the impetus behind that? I know I gave a bit of the um, a bit of the mission, sure. but how did that come into being? Well, I uh, so going back into again the legacy of Dr. King. I was um, um, on the East Coast, and I was um, a corporate person. I I was working up and down the East Coast in a corporation, and um, 
I, you know, I decided that uh, several years ago that I was giving my life to making a corporation wealthy. But what was happening on the outside of that in my community and when you turn on the news and you just look outside your door and your windows and I said, hey, I have talent, I have a skill set, I gotta use this to help out my community because if folks like me stand up, right. folks like us stand up, I should say, mm -hmm. you know, and I, and I had a post today on Facebook, if 5% of, of people said we are tired of oppression just in one day, the world would change overnight. Mm -hmm. um, to answer your question directly, at that point in time, um, I was working with the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, which is the organization that was founded by Dr. King. Um, through and through um, personal preferences and through attrition, I, my, from my mindset and um, without diminishing anybody's role, I felt like that um, God was leading me to a little slightly different mission than what they represented and then where they stood historically. Mm -hmm. um, SCLC is like a lot of uh, organizations, and just just to answer it directly, um, SCLC is like a lot of organizations to where it's when the, when the founder, that legendary, that iconic figure goes away, right. then the organization loses its direction. And that's, you know, that's common. I mean, look at Walmart when they lost Ray Kroc, or McDonald's when they lost Ray Kroc, and Walmart right. when, they, when they lost Sam, Sam Walton. Yeah. So, you know, you see these things, and it's really hard to fill the shoes of the icon. But what I wanted to do was highlight that icon, so I decided to start Freedom First International. And a lot of their mandate that was pure, I feel, at that point in time, or purer, mm -hmm. um, I got back to it. I actually started working with uh, the family of Dr. King. Okay. And uh, um, just really absorbing as much as I could. And then uh, we, re we recreated the wheel and invented freedom. Mm. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. You know, to that point, before I ask uh, another question, I, I would say this, and I'd like to get your, uh, get your perspectives on this. When it comes to organizations that have a charismatic leader, that have a, a leader that is able to speak to the different uh, specters, the different generations. Yeah, the different generations sure. uh, that are able to move throughout the, the stratif stratifications that, that we have in society. Mm -hmm. And that leader leaves, and organizations tend to slow down and fall, yeah. uh, uh, falter. Do you think that really is more not just highlighting the, the value of that leader, but that it is also an indictment on the communities themselves in that there is not a transition plan. There is not, uh, there's, there's not a leadership model that, can, that is more position-oriented instead of personality-oriented. Yes, yes. And, and, and that trend that you, you're so adequately describing and eloquently describing, I should say, that trend even continues today because think about it. If our communities learn self-sufficiency, through organic, through uh, just atomic measures, just automatic, just if they were learned, if they had learned that, then we wouldn't have to depend on the state house, we wouldn't have to depend on the White House. You know, it really, if we learn how to build our communities and really support our communities on a block by block basis, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, we could do amazing things. Yeah, absolutely. So, absolutely. I mean, and that would answer your question. Yes, there is a trend to put individuals on the pedestal and and you know and as you know we heard from the earlier conversation you know mm -hmm. look at dc that's not working out for us too well is it yeah we got to stop we got to stop putting characters and people on the pedestal let's put it back to the community yeah absolutely um so your 
also one of the things I came across, you said that your brother um, passed at 30 years old yes. due to complications with uh, of, uh, AIDS, HIV. Yes, yes. And that was a that was a pivotal experience and moment for you. Sure. Um, aside from the loss of uh, a sibling, which is, you know, there, there's very few things that compare to that. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the takeaway or what was the, how did that change you? Well, you know, um, hmm. there's a quote from the movie Bad Boys. It got real, mm. you know, it got real. And, you know, the reality of the matter is when you, you know, when something a traumatic experience like that happens, then you know, for me, I'm I'm an I've always been inquisitive by nature, but then you start asking, well, why? You know, what is it? What is this all about? You know, and and how can we stop this? When you see a loved one go from, you know, two hundred and fifty pounds down to thirty pounds or forty pounds mm-hmm. and that sort of thing, I mean, you know, you these are images that you maintain and carry with you for the rest of your life. And unfortunately, a lot of time can't erase it. So, you know, with that image, and I always think about that, dad is saying to me, well, you know, I should do something. So the last part about that, just the more specific part, is, is um, you know, thousands and thousands and hundreds and thousands of folks have died because of AIDS and HIV. So I researched where it came from. I researched, you know, the problems with the World Health Organization, um, how our communities are ill-equipped to handle that. You know, they're, they're the conspiracy theories, which are not even conspiracy anymore, but even proven as fact that, you know, it came from animals. It was implanted, there was a disease that was implanted in animals in laboratories in Africa by the World Health Organization. Mm. And that spread that spread through the human population. Why they did it, you know, they would never admit to it, obviously, because of the liability. But, you know, I decided that, that at that very moment, the day that he passed, I said, you know what? I'm going to use my life to help people out who are oppressed and start fighting for them. Mm. Some people tied that, and that is a, that is a beautiful way to, to respond to, to loss, um, where it puts you in a position where you look to give. So that is yeah. uh, that is, is commendable and 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 certainly in line with um, certainly in line with somebody who sees himself as a global uh, as a global citizen. Talk to us a little bit about that. Is that something that also because I, I feel some of the language of, of Dr. King and Malcolm X also who who took his case not to to the state house but to the UN. That was his his goal, <laughs> right? So he was talking human sure. rights, not just sure. not just civil rights. So uh, is, is that a part of your worldview, uh, that thinking, that, that ethos? Yes, yes, it is. And, and as a matter of fact, uh, you know, I didn't want to wait to the end of my fight. And, you know, uh, at the end of the scope, like, you know, unfortunately, these leaders had to learn it through attrition. Mm-hmm. But I, I am actually a member of the United Nations as we speak. Okay. And two years ago, I had um, myself and three organizers organize one of the biggest events for uh, folks of African dysphoria. And I brought in Harry Belafonte to the United Nations. I brought in members of several organizations, Alicia Garza from Black Lives Matters. We, uh, we brought in uh, the gentleman who was head of uh, Amnesty International at that point in time. Uh, we brought in some luminaries from around the world because for me, it's very important that we connect the dots. 
And, you know, that means that the oppression that's going on in Chicago, I can guarantee you there's similarly suited oppression going on in Beirut or going on in, um, you know, South Africa or maybe in the Caribbean. So we have to be able to find out the common denominator of what we're missing and how to bring these communities back into a balance. And that's a lot said. That's a lot. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, Radio Islam family, if you are just tuning in, our guest tonight is Bishop Greg L. Greer. He is the founder and president of Freedom First International. Uh, it's an NGO, which goes right into this um, uh, this UN relationship. Uh, and one of the focuses or the main focus is looking for alternatives uh, to eradicate racial hate, promoting world peace. Uh, let me ask you something more on the national, on the national scene. Um, with your social justice work and advocacy, mm-hmm. there are a number of uh, rather high-profile cases that you have been involved with. Could you talk to us a little bit about some of those? Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the first cases um, when um, I guess in my freshman aspect of uh, um, social justice work was um, the Stinney case, which was out of Manny, South Carolina. This person had the dubious distinction of being uh, the youngest person executed in U.S. history. Mm-hmm. And what happened was um, I have a knack for media. Even I'm a journalist as we speak. Yeah. Uh, I consider myself a radio commentator, TV journalist. You wear a lot of hats. Yeah, yeah, I try. You know, we hit it. It's, it got some cylinders going yeah. on. Not to say they, they crack off all the time, but hey, that's a different story. So, so the Stinney case, we uh, overturned that in the high courts of uh, South Carolina, fighting against Governor Nikki Haley when she was the governor. And this person, this is a legacy case that was uh, from almost seventy years, Jim Crow era, and the young man was executed. Um, we overturned that. People can look it up. It's a very complex case, but then, you know, it's a very harsh case. 14-year-old who was executed in the courts back in the Jim Crow era in the 40s. Yeah. Um, and the way that we overturned that is we took that to the international and national media, and we just hammered it. We put it out there, and we used the people, public interest to galvanize and pressure the, the courts and pressure the governor to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Um, second case, uh, probably probably a more notable case, that I actually led um, from an advocacy role in is uh, Tamir Rice, who was a young 12-year-old in Cleveland, Ohio, shot by two police officers. Um, uh, There's a very uh, notable um, attorney, African-American attorney, um, who was on the case, and it didn't seem to be going anywhere. And I kind of looked at the track history of that attorney, um, uh, Mr. Crump, you know. and, you know, it's not a diminishment of Mr. Crump, but, I mean, you know, I, we uh, decided to, uh, I got together with the family, we decided to look at how to, again, galvanize this case, take it to the interests of the world. Mm-hmm. And the methodology that I learned came from what? Came from, the, came from Dr. King, came mm-hmm. from the Civil Rights era. Yeah. You know, the dynamic was changed when folks were, were seen beaten and, and by uh, water holes and water holes and dogs and that sort of thing. When they saw it on TV... It's a different dynamic than just conversation. That helped change. So I learned that strategy, mm-hmm. and I was able. And I we we've been able to do a, a lot of good things with that. I'm on the I'm on the front lines of fighting social justice here in this machine city, Chicago, uh, police brutality and uh, political corruption. Just whatever given day, you know, you got a, you got your choice of them here in Chicago. So, you know, it's the Windy City. Yeah. It's how, it's how they get down since, you know, the 20s, <laughs> back in the roar 20s. Right, right. <laughs> um, 
uh, Alton Sterling, one of the latest cases, you know. Uh, I, uh, uh, Baton Rouge, that, Louisiana. Yeah, Louisiana. Yeah, 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 again, shot by two police officers. Um, for my part, um, in dialoguing with the city, I made some early suggestions. Uh, the governor of that particular um, uh, state actually took that case to uh, and took it directly to uh, the Department of Justice under Loretta Lynch, and my suggestion was, no, that's not a good thing. Try and, you know, no... Uh, no local courts, no local effort. And I said, well, you know what? Once this part process becomes political, then we lose in momentum, and that's how we lose. So my thing is always to fight with the court of public opinion because there's two ways to fight cases, court of law, court of public opinion. Public opinion can affect the law, but it's not really a lot. A lot of times it's not the way around, but then it is, you know, Brown versus Florida Education, so on and so forth. But with with all of the agitation, with all of the activism uh, mm-hmm. that we have witnessed throughout the past yes, 60 years or so, mm-hmm. um, where cameras have been turned on peaceful protesters and filmed them as they were beaten, uh, as they were assaulted, as they were as they lay uh, helpless, lay not and not fighting back, but just the recipients of aggression. Um, do you think that 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 we have gained enough since that time, since the since the 60s, late 50s and 60s, to where we are today, where we are still marching, we're still protesting, and we're still turning on the television to see uh, Laquan McDonald or Tamir Rice or Michael Brown or sure. just go down the list, uh, Philando Castile, and we're, we're still seeing these same acts of uh, brutality or lives ended and laws have not changed to the point where there's really ever any an account of, any accountability. What's the next step in your opinion? Well again the next step is really to to be able to think about things not from well two things to think about things more from a global standpoint I mean now we are a global society we're forced to be global citizens yeah. like you know we know what's going on in Iraq we know what's going on I mean you know what's the information highway. Um, when 9-11 happened, I was actually on the news and, and looking at it from the news standpoint. But then I said, let me see what's going on over there and how they feel. So I got on, uh, I looked at the news from Iraq, translated it, yeah. and I saw that they were excited. Some of, some of the locals were excited about that, some of the communities. And, you know, when you've been fed a lot of information that is, you know, coming or it's uh, coming from dictatorships and coming from tyranny, you know, the key, just in the short and sweet of it, and I'm, I'm, I'm hopefully I get back to your question if I hadn't. The key is whoever controls the narrative controls the war. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why this particular uh, Mr. Uh, President here in D.C. <laughs> I, I can't think of a better <laughs> This is why he's fighting so hard him and to control that narrative. You know. Well, you, to his to his credit. Because you have to, you have to realize the strength of an individual. Uh, you have to recognize it. And to his credit, he is he is a masterful manipulator of the public's conversation. Uh, he is a masterful manipulator of of the attention uh, attention span. Uh, we've got a ninety a ninety minute a ninety second news cycle, mm-hmm. where we're just turning stories over and over, and every tweet that he sends out is a news story. Oh, yeah. So uh, 
Yeah, so that that strategy, well, they're, they're, that's a whole lot more than that because I'm starting to see uh, reporters, they're becoming, I think, a bit more savvy in, mm. in, in how they respond to him, yeah. uh, which is good. But let, let me ask this because we're – this this time it goes by so quickly. Understood. Um, what would you say is your because like I said, you cover you you cover a lot of ground. You wear a lot of different hats, um, but my feeling is that it all comes from a central central place. Uh, what is your what is your mission? What would you say your mission is in in the work that you do? Or is there or is there is there a, 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 a connecting thread that goes through it all? Or are you just working from different interests and different talents and different abilities in different spaces? Well, I'm going to answer your question like this, Brother Tariq. Mm -hmm. We have to be able, um, I have, my effort is, is, is backed by what we call uh, strategy. And, you know, before we step foot on the front line in the protest, there has to be a measurement on the table. What is your end result? Right. If my P is, excuse me, if my plea is passionate, emotions, emotions go into the stratosphere and they come back down and hit the ground and there's nothing there. You know, it was feel good for the moment, but we need more than feel good. Right. And I just, I learned there a lot of my lessons that were taken from corporate America and just try and put a different name on it and transition. So I think the, the measurement at the end of the table has to be you know, um, Adolf Hitler, every every great leader in history, um, including, uh, we can say Donald Trump, you know, because we have to give him a certain amount of credit because he did some historical things. Mm. Um, uh, Barack Obama, uh, um, Hassan, um, Saddam Hussein, uh, uh, you know, every great leader, whether negative, if they use their power for negative or good, mm -hmm. had one thing, one common denominator. They were good leaders. Mm -hmm. So we have to learn organic leadership and what that means and what it looks like. And if we can replicate that, then we can galvanize the people. Mm -hmm. Not enough people understand that or put time into that, you know. Mr. Trump has. <coughs> Well, he has his, I'll say this, he has his, his benefits. He has his finger on the pulse of the of the masses. Um yeah. and and emotions, the ability to to point to this is your problem. That is a tried and true method that has been used by plenty of leaders throughout history to to turn one group into the other. And and it's missed it's misdirection. So yeah, he he's definitely taken a page out of a, a playbook that has worked consistently. I'm gonna tell you where he got his page from. P.T. Burnham. The show must go on. Mm. No, really. If you look, if you want to go back, think about that. When you get some time, research that. Yeah. A lot of his statements, a lot of his, the, I believe he took his stuff from P.T. Burnham. Well, he was also a master <laughs> of hyperbole. Yes. So. I, I could see def I could definitely see that that connection from, from every aspect, even yeah. from the point of a circus. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm being honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I want to. Well, we we got we got a few more minutes. I want to okay. I'm gonna do the one minute wrap up uh, when it's time. Uh, so you you've gone through a seminary. You're you're, you're ordained um, a minister. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> Does that play a, well, I shouldn't say does that play, because I know it does, but um, 
what led you to that? Well, my personal um, my personal calling is just my commitment to God, and and you know I don't use it as an inflection of how I deal with people. I look at it as far as my life, where I came from, and what God was calling me to do. Um, I don't expect uh, you know if I were to walk to the, the streets of um, uh, Morocco, you know I wouldn't expect anybody to recognize that particular destination point. Mm-hmm. But it's just for me, it's just my commitment to God because I knew where he brought me. And, you know, it's just my and it and it allows me to continue with the discipline that God has instilled in me. Um, it's it's totally inward, totally inward. And I never look at it as being an outward expression. Mm. Mm. OK. All right. Bishop, it has been a pleasure talking to you. I appreciate you being here. Um, Thank you. Thank and you. hopefully. Uh, this is not the last time we'll see you here. Hey, thank you for the wonderful <laughs> work that Radio Islam is doing. Thank you for having me, and I'm glad I made it here. And I I know that we will continue on doing good work together. Yes, sir. God willing. Inshallah. All right, Radio Islam family, uh, it has come to that time. We are at that time. Uh, and before we run out, we want to wish everyone a blessed Eid, Eid Mubarak, uh, because we won't be with you um, when it does come in. Um, but we just pray you have a, a wonderful time with your families. Uh, for those of you who may be here without your families, uh, remember, we're all family, okay? So we're, we're giving you the, we're wishing you the, the, the best and the, the happiest and healthiest of, uh, of IDS. And uh, we look forward to joining you again next week, next Monday. We're going to be joined in studio by Dr. Babaka Menge. Yes, yes, yes. I, I love that brother. He's he's a phenomenal scholar. So, that being said, we want to go ahead and thank our engineers over at WCEV, Ramon, Leonard. Thank you very much, Leonard. We appreciate you. And we thank our engineer in studio, the impressive one, Ibrahim Baig. I'm your host and producer, Tariq Alameen. And our executive producer is Abdul Malik Mujahid. We remind you that the views expressed by the host and our guests are theirs and not to be taken as a representation of Sound Vision Foundation. That being said, beloveds, we're going to leave you as we greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Thank you.